Welcome to another podcast from Fire Church Ministries. We hope you enjoy session three of our Empowered Conference. Well, isn't God good? Guys, um, it's great to be back home. Thanks so much too for that song. That was so beautiful. That was really the, the, the word of the Lord coming through. So good. You know, um, just before I get into this message, um, because it, I, my plan is that God would cut you deeply in a good way, in all the right ways. Um, God's a master physician. But before we get into that, I feel there's a few people here who don't know the Lord. And maybe it was one of the people that John talked about then that that you were brought here and you're not really sure why, or maybe you received God on the street and someone said to you, you should come to this church thing. You may not believe everything here yet. You may be like, what's this all about? But you can sense somebody else is in this room. You can sense the presence of goodness in this room. Well, the presence of goodness is God. The presence of love that you feel and that sense that this room's full, even though it's not. It's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's God in this room. He's the invisible person who made everything visible, including you, and he loves you so much. And so before I get into this message, I want to tell you that the people in this church where you're standing and looking at us, even if we look okay, even if we seem like we have it all together, we came from broken places. All of us have a past. All of us have a history. It doesn't matter what uh, things look like on the outside. You know, you can have a billion dollars on the outside, but be completely poor on the inside. You can have nothing on the inside. History has proven that to us. Even the last few years, we've seen many people in Hollywood, some of the most famous, funny people in Hollywood, commit suicide because on the inside, they were depressed because all the love in the world can't fill the inside. It's like having a car, a Ferrari that has no engine. People try and build things up on the outside because they want to feel like they're valuable to the world, but that system that we live in doesn't feed you. But Jesus feeds you. I met Jesus when I had uh, multiple addictions to different things, uh, one of them including sex and all sorts of stuff I was addicted to. Uh, I was in a very, very bad, dark place, and I was dealing drugs at the time that I met the Lord. And much like John Boy, who was doing drugs and was redeemed, much like many of us, we have a past, we have a story, and the Lord wants to redeem your story as well. You may not have taken drugs, but I can tell you this, you've probably taken something into your heart to fill it. And the reason why you've done that is because sin and death and the curse that we live in in the world, the curse of sin, the, the failure to manage the, the way we are on the inside because of this nature of sin in us causes us to be empty. And Jesus wants us to be filled. And Jesus loves you. And it's no coincidence you're here. You're on God's calendar tonight. It's no coincidence you're in this room with amazing people who love God and who will love you. And I know these people and I know they'll love you. But I want you to make a decision I don't believe you came here by accident. I believe you're here for a reason. So I want to invite you to make a decision. The decision is very simple. It doesn't mean you have to throw everything right now into the arms of God and say, God, I, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to turn around right now and sell my car and everything. The Lord might call you to, but that's not what I'm asking you. What I'm asking you to do is just open your heart a little bit. Just open your heart a little bit and ask God, okay, God, why am I sitting here? Why am I in this room? Why today did some person who knows Jesus come to me and invite me here tonight? You know, the gospel is really simple. When you look at God, you see two things. You see that God is good, and you just have to look around the earth, especially our nation, Australia, to see that God is good. This nation is beautiful. 
I travel all over the world and I can tell you we're very blessed. That's why it's called the lucky country is because we are very blessed. And you can see that God's goodness is in creation. God's goodness is in people where you see relationships that are good. You see good things in the earth, but more than good, you see bad. But when we look at God, we see only perfect good, that God would give his own son for our sins and die in our place because he loves us, because of no other reason, not to form a religion, but because he wants relationship with you. That is an amazing God who would do such a thing and come holy, perfect, pure, and good, and then die in our place when we know in our heart we're not truly good. Even if we think we're good people, we still sin against God, we still sin against each other. That's what you realize when you see him. You're like, God is good. And the second thing you realize is, I am not. I'm not good. Without Jesus, I'm not good. Without his goodness, I'm not. Without him completing me, I'm incomplete. Without him in my picture and his blood washing me, I'm still in darkness. I'm still in my sins. But you weren't born for sin, friend. You weren't born placed on this planet so you could walk around life, go around in circles and try and convince everybody that you're significant. You weren't born to fight for yourself. You weren't born on this earth so that you could have a wrestle with sin that you can defeat. You can't defeat it. You were born because God thought your life was worth living and he thought you were worth making and he thought he wanted a relationship with you. And he knows how to get that. He redeems us by his cross, by his sacrifice. Everybody's sins one day will be before the throne of God if they're not forgiven. And, you know, I met a guy the other day. He told me, he said, I'm a very good person. He was in the airport in Singapore. And I said, how good are you? And he had his wife or his girlfriend, sorry, next to him. He was about 60 years of age. She was about 50 years of age. He said, well, I'm good. I treat people really good. And in front of his girlfriend, I said, do you look at pornography? And he stopped and he said, yes, I do. And I said, how does that make her feel? that you have to cheat on her on your phone. You have to look at other women to fill your soul, not to her. How does that make her feel? I said, is that good? I said, is it good that the woman that you look at who's 18, four years ago was someone's 14-year-old daughter? Is that good? And I said, what about exaggerating? You have a lie. Is that goodness? I said, you ever stolen stuff in your life? I said, come on, man. You can just admit that nobody really at the core of things, at the very, very core, even if we're trying to be good, we're usually selfishly being good. We're selfishly trying to look good for ourselves. And selfishness doesn't work. And that's why we need a savior. That's why the world is corrupt, because it needs saving. It needs people to change. The world isn't corrupt because of a corrupt ecosystem. The world is corrupt because of a corrupt heart. Because people do things that are corrupt. And that's why we have problems. But Jesus never corrupted himself. Jesus is perfect. Jesus was born perfect, and he was born for you. He is God in flesh. He was born to save you. He's not a religion. He's not trying to get you to join the Holy Christian Club and do north, south, east, and west. He doesn't care. He wants your life. He wants your heart. He went to the cross with you in mind. That's how valuable you are to God. He knows your sin. He knows the mistakes you've made. He knows that he's good. And he knows that when you truly look at him, you'll realize you're not. But when you realize that, he's not saying, go away from me. In fact, one of the most powerful things Jesus ever said was, come to me. I want to invite you tonight to make a decision. Why are you in this, in this room? More importantly, why are you on this earth? What kind of life are you living for? Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are heavy and laden and weary in your heart, you know. And I'll give you rest. It's Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. 
Jesus is a God of peace. He's a God of rest. He's a God of life. And he's the only one that can totally forgive you. But he asks you to open your heart. So I want to pray really quick. If there's anybody in here, maybe you believed in God as a kid. Sometimes I look back to how I was as a little kid. And I was having more fun then now than I am. Well, I'm having fun now. But I remember my 20 years, you know, my 20s, when I was walking in darkness, I wasn't having fun then. When I was a little kid and I believed in God, four or five years old, I had joy. Sometimes kids can teach us adults a lot because we grow out of things like joy and peace and real purpose. Well, Jesus came to restore that. You can be born again. That's what happened to me. God wants to invite you to have the same experience because your life is valuable to Him. You're not here by accident. You're not here because there's some church conference on. You're here because God loves you. So I'd like you all to close your eyes, please. If you believed in the Lord as a child and you walked away, maybe you've never believed in God, or a God, and you're here tonight, someone invited you, and you're still not sure, but you understand that as I'm speaking this, I'm talking to your heart. There's emptiness in you. There's cycles that you can't break. Well, I want to tell you that you're here because God put you on his calendar and he wants to meet with you tonight. If you've backslidden away from Jesus or you've never met him for the first time and you know right now that God is he's knocking on the door of your heart, Jesus says, let me in. Let me come and give you a new life. And if you know that's you and you want to give him your life, your whole life, you want to say, God, I'm done with my way. I'm done with my addictions. I'm done with my problem. I'm done with my cycles. I want a relationship with this God. I want to be free. I want you to not care what anyone in this room thinks. Forget what they think. You're not a puppet of people's opinions. You choose for you. If you know God is speaking to you right now and you want to change life, you want to be forgiven, and you want to start again with God, put your hand up. If that is you, I see you, my friend. God bless you. I see you up the back, sweetheart. Bless you. Is there anybody else? I feel there's a couple more people. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Anybody else? Yeah, I see you. Bless you, my friend. I see you up the back. God bless you. I see you, bro. Is there anybody else here? Just don't be afraid of anybody's opinion. I see you, bro. Awesome, man. God loves you. Yeah, I see you in the middle. God bless you, friend. He loves you, mate. Jesus loves you. I just flew in from Europe, 24 hours flying. I would have flown all the way in to see your hands go up because I know what God is going to do in your life. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Guys, if you put your hand up, and you came here with a friend, or you came here even on your own, if you put your hand up, guys, I want all of you, church, let's give them a huge shout of thanks and praise to God, because of, I want you to come to the front. All of you, put your hand up. Come up right now. Don't be ashamed. Come on. Come on. Don't be ashamed. Come on. If you came with a friend, come with a friend. God bless you, mate. Jesus loves you. God bless you, man. God bless you. Who put their hand up? Oh, yeah, he did. Awesome. These are your friends. Come over, bro. How you doing, man? God bless you, mate. Lovely to meet you.
There's a few more. Come on, guys. We can do better than that. Let's give these guys a hand. Can we get some of our prayer team to come real quick? Here's what we're going to do. This is really simple. Jesus is mighty to save. This is so simple, bro. He's going to change your heart and give you a brand new life. And now this moment, you'll look back on this and go, my goodness, what happened? Did you come up as well? Awesome, man. You came as well? Bless you, bro. God bless you, man. It's amazing. Give this guy a hand. So good. It's awesome. (laughs) Did you guys come? Yeah, awesome. Lovely to meet you. God bless you. Awesome. All right, this, our team's going to pray for you real quick. But you know, Jesus, he made it really easy. Just like when someone knocks on the door of your house, you invite them in. Jesus just wants to come in and he wants to rearrange the house, make it clean, make it new. And he wants to stay in the house with you. And he wants to lead your life. He wants you to be his child, his servant and free. And he will be your Lord and he'll give you a brand new heart. He promised that if anybody comes to him, they'll become a new creation. It doesn't matter what you walked in this building with, how addicted you were, it matters not, man. You're looking at a bunch of ex-addicts, and we can tell you Jesus is powerful enough to deliver. He's mighty to deliver. So it doesn't matter what happened. But we're going to pray this. We're going to pray from our heart, and then we're going to speak with our mouth to God and invite Him to come and live inside of us. So church, can you all put your hands forward and just pray for these guys real quick? So guys, pray this together with me, okay? Just pray this out loud with, with your, your mouth, but from your heart. Pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I open my heart to you. Today, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin nature and all the things I've done wrong. Come into my heart, Jesus. I welcome you as my Lord, my God, and my best friend. Thank you, Lord. Now, church, just begin to pray for them. Father, fill them right now. We pray that you would fill them right now. Jesus, thank you. Fill them right now. We're going to pray for you right now that the Holy Spirit would fill you and free you. Thank you, Jesus, for freedom. Thank you for the power of life, the power of Jesus. We praise you, Father, for the power of life. Put your hands on them, guys. Just pray for them. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for the power of life. God, we pray that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit. Make them brand new. And as a church, we're just going to begin to pray against everything that was ever hindering your life. We pray against anything that was around you, any spiritual things that were around you, any darkness that was in your world. We break it off in the authority of the name of Jesus. You belong to God, man. God lives inside you and you are inside Him. And the Bible says you are a child of God as of this very moment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. More, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit right now. Right now. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. We ask you for freedom completely. Thank you, Lord. And come on, church, just begin to declare what you're sensing. What I sense is the power to break all addiction. All the past addiction, all the lies of the enemy, they'll catch you, don't worry. We break the power of darkness out of your life now, in Jesus' name. They'll catch you, just put her on that seat. In Jesus' name, we break the power of darkness out of her life. We pray the same for you. We pray in Jesus' name, 
any spirit that entered your life that confused you or brought torment. We cast you out of his mind now. In Jesus' name, be gone from him now. You have no authority here anymore. We break the cords and the old things off your life. We pray that confusion would leave and that your spirit, soul, and mind and body would be made sound, whole, and complete. Thank you, Jesus. God is the God of freedom. He wore a crown of thorns so you could have a sound mind. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Freedom in Jesus' name. And we break the lies of the enemy, the old ways. The old ways never return to them. They're not yours anymore. I cast the spirit from your life that has held you in the old ways. We, we take authority over you now in Jesus' name. Come out of his life. He said yes to Jesus tonight. He's given his full and complete yes. In Jesus' name, we break off the power of the enemy, the old ways. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, church, let's just give him some praise. Give the Lord praise. God is good. God is good, man. All right, guys, if you just did that right now, I have amazing news for you. Even if you robbed a bank 10 minutes ago before you came here, obviously you're going to have to give the money back. But, but even if you did the most wicked thing that you've ever done in your life before you came here tonight, the Word of God is clear and God cannot lie. Your sins are 100% forgiven. They are gone. You're a new creation, man. Jesus lives in your heart. You are brand new. Hallelujah. All right, guys. We're going to help. Pastor Alex, can we get them something? Um, can we connect with these guys somehow, if that's okay? Guys, just come over here to the foyer with Pastor Alex. He just wants to give you something real quick, and, uh, and then you can come straight back in. He just wants to give you something. Guys, give these guys a hand. They're amazing, huh? Isn't that wonderful? It's the best thing in the world, huh? Apart from worshiping God, the greatest privilege that I ever, ever see in my life is people meeting Him. <coughs> oh, praise God. Okay. Can I have the lights of the room up slightly so I can see you guys? Right now, these ones are... Oh, there, we, there you are. Hello. Good to meet you. Guys, I just got back uh, into Australia. It's a joy to be here at the Empowered Conference with Pastor Catherine and Pastor Alex and Chelsea, Pastor Chelsea Hagen as well. I missed her this morning. I've been feeling a little unwell. Forgive me for that. Um, but I'm getting better in Jesus' name. It's good here to be here too with Joe Rinala. It's good to meet Joe. He's an amazing man. I was just in Russia. I just came back from Russia. Uh, I was in Novosibirsk and in Moscow. And uh, in Novosibirsk, it, was, it felt like, I think, minus six uh, it was really cold. It was registering minus two, but it felt like it said on the, the pastor's phone, minus six. And uh, while I was there, they said, this is the most historic unity we've ever felt as, an, as a, a whole group of a city of three million, about the size of Melbourne. And, uh, and they had all these pastors there on their knees, just bowing down before God, weeping, crying out for, for their city to be saved. And they said they've never had that kind of unity before. It was just a crazy experience for me in Russia. And then I spoke in Moscow to around about 5,000 people. And, uh, and they were just so hungry for God, crying out for the Lord. And uh, right after that, I, I, was, I just had been all over the world the last month or two. And it's such a joy to be home in Australia. But I want to tell you something. The Lord is moving here in a very, very powerful way, a very significant way. And He's also doing that in all the nations of the earth that I go to. I see the Lord raising up a real people, uh, a breed of people that are really, truly in love with God. 
they really are in love with God. They're not in love with the, necessarily the things that God does only, although that would be enough to be in love with that. You know, I love what Bill Johnson says. People say, they, they say, seek his face, not his hand. I love Bill. He says that his, his hand will lead to his face. Um, so we have to be thankful for all the Lord does. But I see Jesus raising up a raw breed of real lovers of God that they don't really care about what they can get out of the they, they want to be used by God in a very radical way, but they don't necessarily care about what they can extract from the equation. They just care about knowing Him. And, uh, and because they know Him, they love people. Because they worship Jesus, they go for people. They, they want to go for stadiums. They, because of that, they, they love people. And tonight I want to talk to you about that because, to be honest with you, I'm speaking to you from a place of guilt. Uh, I would say from a place of conviction, but I'm convicted. But I also feel like I wasn't convicted for nothing. I was convicted because I was wrong. God showed me in the last 12 months there's some things that I were doing that were wrong. There were some distractions, small compromises I was making that were wrong. And they're not necessarily related to sin, but whenever you put something in front of Jesus, it is a sin. I'll give you an example. Wealth. Wealth is a sin that everybody can be happy with, unless it becomes an idol. Idols are often very hard to see because they're hidden sometimes under the guise of success. And the same in ministry. We love the ministry. God ordained us to preach the gospel in ministry. But sometimes even the ministry can become an idol. And, uh, and it's not. It's a, it's a blessing and it's a joy. But it can't be the reason why we live. We're living for Him and then we minister because of Him. And uh, I want to talk about that because the Lord really has been convicting me the last 12 months to change some things in my life. And it's been really around the scripture in Revelation chapter 2 about returning to our first love. But before I read that, I'm going to read from Jeremiah chapter 4 for you. If you'll return to me, O Israel, says the Lord, return to me. And if you'll put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. <clears throat> you shall swear the Lord lives in truth, in judgment, in righteousness. The nation shall bless themselves in him. Not just themselves, right? But in Him. And in Him they shall glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah in Jerusalem, Break up the fallow ground, and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskin of your heart. The hard things, the little things that cover intimacy. The foreskin being a covering that hides something that was made for intimacy, the, the heart was made to be intimate with the Lord. And there's things that creep into our world that become like fallow. They, they make our heart tough. They make it impenetrable in some areas. Sometimes we can weep in front of God at church on a Sunday, but have no love for our family. We can be fallow in some areas. And the Lord said to me recently, the last 12 months, He's like, Ben, I want you to begin to break up the areas that are hard, and let me touch them, you know, let me speak to you about them. And, and really this scripture in Revelation 2 is what I'm going to get to. But he began to talk to me about my own life and just show me so clearly about certain things like distractions that I can place in front of the Lord or in front of his voice and reason the Holy Spirit out of the equation. And when I do that, because I'm in relationship with God, because my whole life is about Jesus, the minute I reason God's voice away and just do what I want anyway, it causes me, whether I know it to no, or not, it causes my heart to become fallow. 
It causes it to be toughened. And God doesn't want us to have a tough heart, but a soft heart. You know, he said in Matthew 6, blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Sorry, excuse me, that was Matthew 5. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, they'll see God. Pure heart just doesn't mean like I do everything with, you know, I don't sin. A pure heart means I do everything with God. It's a with God heart. It's a, this is about Jesus' heart. I remember when I was first saved, you know, I didn't have a car or a license. All I had was a criminal record. And when I first got saved, when Jesus saved me, thanks, friend. That's okay. Thank you so much. Um, I might throw it on the crowd later, wake a few people up. Uh, you, know, you know what Benny Hinn used to do, and I don't necessarily agree with this, by the way. I'm just telling you. But ben, Benny Hinn, he used to have the camera guy of his church. If someone fell asleep, stick the big boom camera in their face and put them on the big screen. And then, and then he'd throw water on them, say, wake up, and they'd see themselves on the big screen. No, no one went to sleep in his church, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, when I was first saved, I, did, I knew nothing about ministry. I knew nothing about what, what defines a Christian. All I knew was that Jesus had saved me. So I had a Bible, little Gideon's Bible, and I'd read it around four hours a day because I was hungry for God. You know, I, I just wanted to know God. No one said, you should read four hours a day. People used to come up to me. They're like, you're so on fire. I'm like, am I? Because I'm reading the book of Acts. I'm like, am I really? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you're so on fire. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. But I didn't know I was on fire. See, no one told me what on fire and what not on fire was. No one told me about a honeymoon period. No one told me. I just knew that when I read the Bible, I wanted to read more. My hunger for God produced more hunger. My intimate life with Jesus, it was just like I wanted to be at church, you know, and, and, and I was the first person to get there. And, and if anyone knows me personally, I'm never on time. Uh, and I was the person, I wanted to be in front of God. I was in a Baptist church. Uh, they're not as spiritual as we are maybe, but I just wanted to know about Jesus. And so I told a guy, I said, hey, his name's Alan. And this other guy, he was mentoring me a little bit. He was a plumber. And uh, sometimes he swore a little bit, but he's a great guy and, uh, and he loved the Lord. But he said to me one day, he said, Ben, you know, you have these areas of your life. You need to work on them. And I was like, yeah, you're right, you know. And he said, I want you to learn the Bible more. And I said, okay, I will. And so I asked this guy, Morelli, he changed his name to Michael because he found out his name was the name of an Indian false god. <laughs> so he changed his name to Michael. He's an Indian guy. And he used to clean the church. He had a cleaning business. And he said to me, um, uh, sorry, I said to him, I said, Michael, I said, can I help you clean? You know, I just came out of a life of like drugs and silly things. And I said, I don't have a job. I said, but I, I heard you're a really good Bible teacher. He goes, I love to teach the Bible. And Alan, my mentor, had told me, he said, Michael is a phenomenal teacher, very wise guy with the Word of God. And I said, Michael, I heard you clean the windows of our Baptist church. And they, these were big windows. And he said, I do. And he said, he said, I cleaned them on like a, a Monday. I said, okay. I said, if I help you, we can do it in half the time. And he goes, okay. And he goes, why, why do you want to do that? And I said, because the other half then, the rest of the day from one to five, you can teach me the Bible. And he said, you want to learn the Bible? I said, yeah. And so I would go to church and I'd do the windows with him. I had no idea what I was doing. He constantly had to correct me. In fact, he would just finish the work at one because of our agreement, but it was not finished. You know, but we, he would take me down to this room under the church and with my little Gideon's Bible, I would listen to him for hours and he'd say something and I'd go, hang on, what does that mean? You know, I was just in love with God. I, I enjoyed waking up at 5 a.m. to watch a Christian minister on TV. It wasn't a chewer to me. I wasn't waking up to be more on fire. 
I wasn't waking up to be spiritual. And the Lord began to remind me the last 12 months. He's like, son, you used to be like that. You don't wake up so much anymore like that. Son, you used to be that way. Whenever God's telling you what you used to be, you know He's inviting you into what you need to be. He's not trying to condemn you. He's trying to whet your appetite to come. The Lord showed me. He's like, Ben, you used to do these things. You used to worship me for hours and you weren't waiting for, you weren't like, you didn't have a time frame that this is how long you usually worship for. But I got busy, honestly. And busyness isn't wrong because many of the things that I'm busy with, God ordained them. But what I, I realized something that God began to point out to me. He's like, you're not too busy for your phone. You're not too busy if you want to meet with someone that you want to meet with. You're not really too busy. It's just that you've, your priority changed over time. Like, if I can be on my phone in my bed, right? Because often that's where I look at it. I'll be about to go to sleep. And all of a sudden, I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but you've realized it's 30 minutes being on your phone now, in your bed. And the Holy Spirit isn't silly. The Holy Spirit is with me daily. He's in my heart. He's in my life. But He's also in my room because He wants to minister to me. He wants friendship with me. And He began to say, like I'd go, man, I sometimes, I'd tell people, I sometimes struggle with looking at my phone for too long. And, and all it was, honestly, was just a choice. I could have put that thing down after five minutes and spent 25 with the Lord. It wasn't because I was too busy. The Holy Spirit corrected me and he said, Ben, people come to you all the time and they say to you, Ben, I know you're so busy. Can I get a meeting with you? And I said, yeah, I am busy. And I, and I tell people, oh, I'm being, I've been really busy. And the Holy Spirit said, you have the exact same amount of time as every other human. It's the truth. We have time. The question is, it's not about even prioritizing and disciplining our time. The question is, what happened to my heart that my heart doesn't naturally prioritize God? So that's what I'm going to talk about. Because people could focus on, well, we need to discipline ourselves. That won't change you. What happened to my heart? I'm going to brief you on the church I'm about to read about. You know this story. The church of this, this house that I'm about to read about was the house of the Ephesians, Ephesus church. The Ephesus church was about 50 AD after Jesus that it was planted by Paul. It started with a stadium crusade, literally. That's how the church was birthed. He preached out loud the Dionysian uh, Oscalopion or whatever that was called, the big theater. He preached, and as he preached, uh, there was an uproar. People saw great boldness in Paul, and they planted a church out of Ephesus. It started with a stadium move, which I like. <laughs> I have a little bit of a bias toward that. It started on fire. But by this point, when Jesus is speaking, <clears throat> it's around about um, 90 or so AD, about 40 years after the church was born. And just so you know, by 50 years after the church was birthed, Jesus gave a warning in here, but by 50 years, the lamp had gone out in the church of Ephesus. The warning here was, I'll remove your lampstand if you don't repent. And I'll talk about that a little more, but just so you have context... The lampstand did go out. And some people, you know, I hear people say to me, well, my church is not on fire. My pastor's not this and that. You know, this church had the best pastoral team in the whole world. It was planted by Paul. It was the, the person who led the church was Timothy, ordained by Paul. The person who moved over to be one of the teachers in the church was one who was called great in preaching, great preacher, Apollos. He was in the church as well. 
and Mary, the Virgin Mary, Jesus' mother. They were all in this church. And then the, the last guy to come in was John the Revelator, who wrote Revelation. Can you imagine him having to write this letter? They had the best leadership. It wasn't the leaders that God was talking to. It was the people of God. You can have the best leaders in the world or the worst leaders in the world, but it's not their responsibility to tend your fire. <clears throat> because this fire went out and they had the best leaders, but the people weren't listening to God's message. They were hearing another message and the message became more about their works. And Jesus wasn't so impressed by that that he skipped the subject of intimacy. So let's read this together. This is Ephesians, sorry, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and, the seven, and, and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. That means Jesus walks through the midst of the church. Verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and you've found them liars. Can you imagine if I said to you and put you on this stage right here and said, I know I want to commend this person because the Lord has said to me, this person does so much for God. They are amazing workers. They've planted 15 churches. They are phenomenal. What a leader. Their labor is strong and they're patient and they didn't grow weary. You know what else I love about this guy? He's so full of truth and he defends the truth. We'd all, wow, what a Christian. We'd all commend anybody who compliment us, complimented us that way. We would think we are doing amazing with God. Well, here's God himself even complimenting that. And he's not, he's not discarding it. He's saying, this is true about you. You're an amazing worker. You labor well. You're not lazy like some believers. You're one of the faithful ones. You're also one of the ones who guards the, the door of the church. That You don't let wolves come in and just have their way with my sheep. You care about what's true. What a commendation from the King of Glory himself, saying you're the one who've tested the lying demons. You've found the people that just want this for their own gain, and you've gotten rid of them. And he's thankful to the, for that. But that is not enough. It's not enough for Jesus. He's not like, thank you for, for being a person of truth. Verse 3, you've persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and haven't become weary. What a church. Church of truth. Church who loves truth. Church who labors so much. We are planning 15 churches a year. What a church Ephesus was. And no wonder... Because what a leader they had, Timothy. What a leader, what a preaching, what a message they got every Sunday from Apollos. What amazing people they had in, in their midst who were helping them with the poor and with the, the desperate, the lonely, the hungry. They were filled with revelation knowledge. This church knew what God was about. Their teachers walked with him. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. 
the first portion of this, it doesn't seem like a fallen church, does it? It seems like a faithful church. But he said, you fell from something. Remember from where you've fallen. Repent, do the first works. Or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The church was 40 years old at this point. Remember their leaders? Paul, Timothy, Apollos, John the Revelator, and Mary, the, son, the, the mother of Jesus in this church. It wasn't the leader's fault. Can't blame, I don't get fed here. They were 40 years into their church. They were doing great works. They were known as benevolent. They were people who labored strongly. They were good at helping the poor. They were laborers. They were fantastic at organizing everything. They were ready. They were people who weren't lazy. They weren't Christians you had to convince twice to perhaps even preach the gospel. They labored well. But it wasn't enough for God. Jesus said to them, remember, repent. And then do something different. Remember, repent, and do something different. Or else I'll take your lampstand away. Ten years later, the church of Ephesus was dead. It didn't exist anymore. It began to slowly die, and then more persecution came. But it began to, the lampstand went out. Jesus removed it. Because they wouldn't go back to the whole beginning and reason why this whole thing starts with God. Jesus didn't say, you didn't work hard enough, so I'll remove your lampstand. Jesus didn't say, you didn't guard truth enough, so I'll remove your lampstand. The only time the lampstand gets removed, and the lampstand represents seeing. It represents light. It represents a flame. It represents knowing the truth. that The, the menorah represented the light of revelation. The real revelation, the first revelation, the foreground, the pillar, the cornerstone revelation is actually to know God more than it is to do for God. It starts with that. So once you leave that, then you're close to this flickering light going out because once you're at that place, it means that you've taken the first commandment and you've put it far below your labors, far below your truth, far below how strong you are about doctrine. You've placed that thing all the way down here somewhere, and all of a sudden, that innocent burning fire, that reason you came to church has changed, that reason you get up in the morning has changed. All of a sudden, reading the Bible is the tick that you tick off in your soul. The Christian thing to do, then it is to know God. And how do you know that's happening? How do you know that's happening? Now, I'm not saying that we should all feel like, I just feel like reading my Bible. That's not what I'm saying to you. I'm not saying that the heart should just feel all the time like it wants to perfectly love God. Our feelings can go up and down. They're not the barometer by which we measure truth. But the heart causes a motivation of action. What you really want, you go for Tell me one person in life who says, I'm going to get a tattoo. I'm going to go get this meal. They don't go, no, I'm not. They go get it. I like that girl. They go get her. They chase what they want. They don't always feel it, but they chase it. We have God. The question is, though, did we become familiar with him to the point where we don't want the God we still have anymore? 
and we can't be that way. And the Lord began to correct me. He's like, son, you know, I've, I've given a lot to you. I've given a lot of responsibility. You're leading a ministry that he's opened doors for me. The Lord has opened doors for himself through me. I mean, it's for his glory. But he's given me favor. He's given me stuff. He's given me, people bless me ridiculously. And, and I'm like, wow, God, this is amazing. But some, somewhere, just gradually, just slowly, I begin to lose that, that zeal. I begin to sit and sometimes even on the front row of churches and hear people preach. And this is how you know you're losing it. When you can't, you, you're constantly kind of judging the preach instead of listening for Jesus. You're not listening for Jesus anymore. When I first got saved, I was in a Baptist church. My preachers didn't even, some of them don't even believe in healing. They don't even believe the fullness of the Bible I was reading. But I couldn't care less. When I first met God, the man that taught me the Bible does not believe the same thing from the Bible I believe. But I didn't care. I used to wipe those windows thinking in 45 minutes, he's going to teach me the book of Matthew. I didn't care. I cared to know God. I was obsessed with knowing the Lord. And because of that, I did works. By the way, it doesn't mean that when you just know God, you become just some fat soaking monkey that just sits on the ground. That's not what I'm talking about. Jesus commended their works. The works were right. He didn't say your works were wrong. He said, you do this, 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 and this well. But the lamp stands in jeopardy. And sadly, the lamp of the church of Ephesus went out. Greece, right now, is one of the lowest populized Christian nations of the world. The largest Pentecostal church in Greece has a congregation of around 250 people. 250 people. Can you believe that? Sad, huh? But it's... It's not God's will. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given the warning. The lampstand goes out when gossip is tolerable to you. That's when you know the lamp is dying. When all of a sudden, whatever people say, it doesn't really matter anymore to you because your heart's calloused. And you'd be happy if you heard some bad news about someone. It means the lamp's going out. The lamp's going out when all of a sudden you start to choose friends and associate with people that you probably wouldn't have associated with before, but all of a sudden some of your non-Christian friends become the people you hang out with and you don't mind hearing their filthy, disgusting talk about women. You don't mind it as much as you used to. It means the lamp is going out. The conscience is being seared slowly, slowly, slowly. The lamp's going out when five minutes in the Bible is a miracle to you. The lamp is going out. The lamp is going out when you're in worship and the only thing you can think of is when does it end? Shouldn't we be finished by now? It usually goes around this long. The lamp is going out. The lamp is going out when you no longer experience the joy of actually just knowing God. But you're faithful. Oh, you'll pack up the chairs. You're faithful. You labor well because you think God's impressed with that. It's not what God's after first. The first thing he wanted. What was his first command? You shall love me because I love you. It says we love him because he? Exactly. So what's the first thing God did? Love you. And he never quit. No one can ever turn around to God and say, God, your lamp of love for me has gone out. Jesus has never said to any individual, excuse me, Put person down there in the, in the middle of Dandenong in a one-bedroom apartment and you're just a young Christian or you're a three-year-old Christian and you've been on the dole and you, and you used to smoke and you just 
quit smoking and you're crying out to God on your face saying, God, I want to be more like you. And God never says to someone, excuse me, I can't come and minister to you now because I'm speaking to the, the, the prince or king of a nation. I'm talking to the president. I'm giving him counsel. I'm sending my angels to him. In fact, sometimes God himself, Jesus himself, the king of, of glory, who the universe exists to bow down to. You know how he walked through walls? He walked through walls because even the atoms, this stuff that he created, just parted and said, yes, your majesty. The whole universe, it's consumed by Jesus. And that God appears to people in their bedrooms who have no money, who have no credibility, who have nothing to offer. But his lampstand never went out for you. His lamp for you never died. The Father can never turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, you do so many great works, so many miracles. I see you healing all the people across all the world, but you don't love them anymore. He'll never say that to Jesus. His lamp never goes out. His zeal for the Word of God never goes out either. It says, zeal for your house has consumed me. Part of loving and knowing God is the, it's the consuming fire that we sing about, that that's the whole reason. You know, I'm about to take a rest time for the month of December, which is fantastic. I'm very excited. But more than excited to rest, I'm excited who I'm resting with. I'm excited who I'm going to talk to. I'm excited who I'm going to sit at the coffee shop alone, you know, with my Bible. Because this is Jesus in print. I'm excited to be with Jesus. I'm excited to remember the things of my first love. And I'll tell you one of them before we finish in just a second. You know, guys, I'm sharing this with you because I feel like some of you have fellow ground. You love God. You would say you love Him, but, but it's like your choices wouldn't always say you do. People say to God all the time, like, well, God, you didn't, you know, or people say to each other, like, but do you know my heart? Oh, that wasn't my heart. Well, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you can never say to Jesus, I didn't mean to say that it wasn't my heart. Because it speaks from there. And our actions come from our heart. Our motivations come from the heart. And you know, Satan, his role in the church, sometimes his role is what, like, like it was in the garden. He tries to distract you, sometimes with even good things and busy things. To take you away from the one thing that is needed. That in Luke chapter 10, Jesus said to Martha, he said, Mary chose that which is needed. Jesus needs people to know him. The Ephesus church was doing great works. They were helping people. But because the lamp was going out, you know what we know about that? They couldn't continue to grow. Why not? Because you can't grow without living bread. People will starve. And, they'll, and, and sheep always go where it's greener. They will find the church, they'll find the place where the truth is actually being preached. But when you don't really know him, and Jesus has to rebuke you saying, your lamp for me is leaving. It means you don't know what he smells like, what he tastes like. You don't know he's living bread. The revelation isn't fresh and pure anymore. And so all of a sudden, people begin to die or they get inoculated with religion and they think they're okay when they're not. And that's even more dangerous. That's not my sermon today, but that's a whole other subject. But I want to share with you a story. When I first got saved, 
um, the Lord reminded me of this recently. I was probably about three or four years old in the Lord, maybe, and I moved from Geelong to, to Dandenong, to Endeavour Hills. And uh, <clears throat> I wasn't very good at anything, actually, to be honest with you. I, I couldn't keep a job very well. I was so zealous to preach the gospel but that I'd often preach to customers and, and I'd preach also to my workmates and things like that. And I lost many jobs because of that. And, uh, but it was unfair dismissal, I'd say. So <laughs> it was never for anything apart from doing the right thing with God, I felt. Anyway, but I was in love with God. See, God was my topic. God was my daily subject. I love Psalm 71 so much because of David's heart's clearly on display where he said, I'll tell of your salvation all day long. I'll speak of your righteousness always because I don't know their limit. Like all day, David wasn't saying that as like, oh, that's a poetic way of me saying, you know, I'll just say what you want to hear, God. He was telling about the reality of his life. All day he talked about God. All day we talk about so, so many other things apart from the Lord. We talk about everything else. We're so impassioned for other things. Nothing wrong with enjoying life. I enjoy golf. Dan beat me yesterday. I don't know how that happened. But I don't know how that happened. Maybe that's a sign to me of something. It's a sign to put my attention back on the Lord instead of the golf ball. But, you know, it's not wrong to have, like, enjoy things. But what you find is your motivation and, and who you focus on. And what, you're, what comes out of your mouth, what, what's, your, what's the topic? What, you know, sometimes when we talk about Jesus with Christians, it can be more uncomfortable than with non-Christians. Because it's like we have to kind of, kind of say the Christian things instead of just talk from our heart. I love God. God's been telling me this. Sometimes we, we learn we have to say the, the revelatory stuff. A lot of people say a lot about God that they don't even know. They don't even know what they're saying. They're just saying it because it's verbiage that we've used. It's like the word kingdom. I love the word kingdom, but we use it. Oh, that's really kingdom. Oh, yeah, it's a kingdom concept. It's like you don't know the king very well, though. You don't know what's kingdom. So how can you know? You're just saying verbiage. It's, it's not the way to live. It's, it's, we're not supposed to do that. And you can tell your lamp is getting cold when Jesus is an awkward conversation for you. My friend was blown up. She was blown up. She leaned on a bomb in a Middle Eastern country and blew half her head off. She died instantly. She met Jesus face to face. She wrote a book about it. Her name's Samar Habib. She's a very good friend of mine. She knows, Catherine knows her as well. Beautiful woman. When she sits down with you at the restaurant table, everybody else, oh, oh did you see Game of Thrones? Whatever, did you see this and this? Now, by the way, if you watch Game of Thrones, the Lord loves you, but this is, that's a sign to you that your heart is cold. Your conscience is cold. When the little sex scene's okay, your love for Jesus is missing. When the, when the I don't mind all this, you know, <laughs> you can't love him and love that. It's not possible. One of them has to be fake. Or one of them has to be being, it's been, circum, it's been covered over by the fallowness. It's real underneath. That's why he says circumcise your heart. Get to the real you. Get to the deep place. Get to where you used to be, where I used to be with you. So Samar, when she sits with you, she looks in the eyes and she's like, got all these strangers. I invite people to come to dinner with us. You should meet my friend Samar. You know what they do? They look, oh, wow, I heard your story. Wow, you met Jesus face to face. Yes, I actually met him. Her eyes look different. There's a depth in there. 
She met him several years ago, around about 11 or 12 years ago, but nothing changed since then. She goes on retreats and she won't eat for 40 days by herself with God just because she wants to love him. She refuses to come out of her house at a certain time. People get annoyed because she won't meet until a certain time because she has this time with a person who created the universe called the King of Glory. And when she goes to dinner with you, people start eating and I go, this is my friend Samar, this is Keith, you know, blah, blah, blah. I start naming six, seven people I, I bring to meet her. And she just turns to them, and she's done this over and over. And it's almost awkward when it begins. She looks them right in the eye with such conviction. And she goes, she goes how did Jesus save you? And you can see the lights inside. You can see in their eyes, like, it's been a while since I remember. It's been a while since I told anyone. It's been a while since I was fascinated by the fact that the God of the universe chose me. What's your story, your history? It's, it's, it's supposed to be alive in us. It's supposed to be Ephesus church was supposed to be a pillar. I mean, when we read the book of Ephesians, tell me that church wasn't a pillar of revelation. Look at what Paul wrote to them. The exceedingly abundantly above all you could possibly ask or think, Ephesian church, God wants to do immeasurably more for you than you can even imagine. He wants to give you, Ephesians 1.17, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That lampstand, though, the knowledge of Him, it got flipped. He started that, the letter with the knowledge of Him, and it got flipped to God can do this. All of a sudden, they were doing a lot, and they lost him. Samar asks you, tell me, what, what does Jesus say to you? And they, and they freak out because it's awkward. Because in Christianity, we're taught to say the right answer instead of the real answer. The real answer in front of her would have been like, Samar, I want you to pray for me. Because I feel like I haven't heard him in a while. And, and sometimes I, I, I struggle so much to even go spend time with him. But instead, they sometimes even say the answer she wants to hear. But you can see the difference. You can feel the weightiness is missing. But here's the good news. It's not meant to be missing. Your first love fire is not something you have to try hard to sustain. It's something you have to repent of forgetting, and then just return to it. Jesus didn't say, you're going to have to do so many works. What do you say? Remember. Think back a little bit. Well, I remembered because the Lord reminded me. He said, Ben, you remember? I put it in my mind, thoughts in my mind. You remember where Valentine's Day? been saved for like three or four years. I was working. I had a job. I was being responsible. I was trying to follow the Lord. I worked at a place called Cash Converters at that time. It's a good name for me, Converter. <laughs> <laughs> I was one. It was Valentine's Day. I was like, what can I do? And I said, I know what I'll do. I said, I'll go to the florist. And I brought Jesus a massive bunch of roses. And I was like, God, I can't wait to bring these home. And I said to the Holy Spirit, I said, don't let Jesus see this. You know, like stuff like that. I was saying weird things like that. Stuff, I can't remember if that's exact verbiage, but stuff like that, Lord. I want it to be a surprise for Jesus. I loved God. It was love, 
motivation of love, knowing God. I wanted just to know you, Lord. I oh, man, I would have easily put down a phone if God said, come to me. I would have just thrown it down. My love was stronger. My, my love was motivating me into discipline. And I, I got him all these flowers, right? And then I, I was like, oh, I need to write him a letter and I need to send these flowers to Jesus. And so... Uh, sorry, send a letter to Jesus. And so I got the flowers and I put them in a vase. I don't even, a vase. I don't even have vases. I'm not a vase person. I don't have anything like that stuff. And I put it in a vase and I got it, filled it with water. And then I got this beautiful card and I got this letter and I wrote a letter to Jesus, a love letter. And I said, dear Jesus, my King, thank you for choosing me. I love you, God. And I said, God, I, I thank you that that you've given me life and, and that you speak to me. And I just told him, I put out my heart and I wrote him a love letter and I wrote four questions in there. I said, I'd like to know this from you. I want to know this from you. I want to know this from you. And, uh, and I said, love, bear your son. And then I, I folded the thing, put it in the envelope and I wrote 777 Heaven's Highway addressed to, to King Jesus, my lover and all this stuff and hearts all on it. I, I was like amazing. And, and, and I just, and I put, you know, the four boxes where you put the numbers, I put seven, 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 four sevens. And, and I took it and I posted it. Can you imagine the people think you're a fruitcake? People must see those letters come through and they think, what a nut job. Who but who cares? I don't care. Guys, I used to put my hands up in my bed like this in my sleep. Put my hands up and begin to praise God and fall asleep and wake up eight hours later with my hands still in the air. And the Holy Spirit would say to me, I kept your spirit praising God. You know, you can't have that when you make these subtle compromises. You can only have that when you remember, you return, you repent of what is distracting you. It could be a relationship. It could be that you, you, you're so addicted to the need for people to like your social media stuff that, that you, you, that becomes your motivation. I have to write a clever post on there. I, I know what that's like. Guys, this stuff is tempting to the body of Christ because we want to feel significant. I know, I get it. Anyway, I was leaving work one day and I got off the bus and as I got off the bus, I walked toward my house and I was probably about from here to the very back of this building away from my house. And as I was just walking like this, you know how you are, you're just kind of focused. And I, I think I might have had a, a, my ear, earphones in or something and I heard the Lord say, just clear as day, your reply has arrived. And I was like, huh? I was, I was just walking like this. I'm like, my reply. I was like, I got it. I'm like, my reply. And I bolted to my house. I mean, I bolted to my mom's house where, where I'm staying right now. I bolted there and I opened, I'm like, open the mailbox because I never get letters. The only letters I used to get was from a debt collection agency. <laughs> seriously, seriously. I open up and there's a hand address letter to me. I kid you not. And I never get hand address letters. And I was like, Oh my God, and I took it out. I was actually thinking, I was like, is this from heaven? Maybe it actually is really from heaven. I took it out and I was like, it had my name, Ben Fitzgerald, you know. And I turned it over and it was from my grandma. I was like, oh, it's from grandma. But I was like, but hang on, maybe this is God because he said my replies arrived. I open it up. Dear Ben, I love you, my grandson, all that stuff, you know. And then she's like, I don't know why, but Jesus told me to write this letter for you. And, and I feel like he wants to answer these questions for you. The king of glory. I wept like crazy. You have no idea. I lost it. I lost it. I wept like crazy. I just lost it. I'm like, God, 
God. You made the universe, every bird that flies, every animal, everything, all the waves that crash at your glory. And you will talk to me. God loves you. He wants the restoration, the circumcision of the heart. He wants that which was truly important once to you to become the lampstand of your life. The chief cornerstone, Jesus himself. But you have to be real with him. The Ephesus church wasn't. Ten years later, can you believe the book that you read to Ephesus, that church, ten years after this correction in Revelation 2, the lamp had gone out. There was no more love for the Lord. And as a result, history suffered. The city suffered. Some of you in this room, you know exactly what you need to do. I don't have to convince you. And the signs are what I said. You don't want to be early to church. You're not just, you can't just wait for the worship anymore. It's just like, oh, worship has started. Oh, that's preaching. Oh, that's this. That's that. Oh, yeah, that's some other sermon. The tragedy with all that we see is it inoculates you from seeing the true thing. I think you know what to do. Exactly. Return to Him. Remember and then repent. Come to Him and repent. God, I'm so sorry. Remember and repent. And you know what? When you repent, it doesn't mean to just beg. It means you go, God, I'm done. I'm just done. I'm I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just not doing these things like this anymore. I'm just not going to go this way anymore. And then it says, do the first works. Do the first works. If that is you, I think you should follow suit and just come down here if that is you. Just come before the Lord. If you know you've left your first love fire, I'm telling you from the position of a pastor, don't hold your pride. Don't hold your pride. Hold the lampstand. Hold the hand of the Lord. Come to the Lord. Come to the altar of His mercy. He's in love with you. You know, I knew I had to preach this message tonight because there's so many of us who need Him. We need to remember. My Lord, I praise Your name. Jesus, Lord, we ask You for Your mercy, God. Without Your abundance of grace, without Your abundance of mercy, what could we do to change? God, we ask you to remind us right now. I pray that everybody sitting here on their knees would have memories. They would remember things they never remembered before. When they pulled the car over, when they just started crying on the side of the highway, when they pulled the car over worshiping, and they just, oh, they couldn't believe the presence that filled the car and and how much joy and how the shifting of the heart and the situations changed, how their families were delivered, how I pray that they would remember I pray that they would remember right now. But guys, you've got to be real with the Lord right now. If you begin screaming, crying out to God, really breaking open and breaking down, that's what you should be. You shouldn't be silent. Remember, there's no right answer. It's not a right answer He's looking for. It's the rending and the circumcising of the heart. It's the breaking of fallow ground. And God, I pray you would do this in us right now, Jesus. I ask you to break the fallow ground, even spirits of distraction, heaviness, and things that are on them that are keeping them from this truth, that are keeping them from what they know is truly important. Knowing the Lord, 
beholding the Lord, the holy fascination with God. I pray, God, this would return tonight. Thanks for listening to another message from Fire Church Ministries. For more messages like this and other resources and information, go to our website, firechurch.com.au.